0: This week on the Tech On Tap podcast, AJ Casamento and Aunt Terrell join us to talk to us all about cyber resiliency with NetApp and Brocade. Welcome to the Tech On Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipalk. Zipalk. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and with me today I have some special guests to talk to us all about the ever-changing environments with SAN deployments, especially when we talk about things like cyber resiliency. So to do that today we brought along AJ Casamento from Broadcom Brocade. So AJ, what do you do and how do I reach you?
1: Yeah, thanks, Justin. I'm a principal R&D engineer here at the Brocade Storage Networking Division of Broadcom, and I can be reached at aj.casamento, that's C-A-S-A-M-E-N-T-O, at broadcom.com.
0: All right, and also with us today, we have Ant Terrell from NetApp. So, Ant, what do you do here at NetApp, and how do we reach you? Hey,
2: Justin. Yeah, I'm a principal consulting solution architect based in EMEA, um, in the UK specifically. We're covering EMEA and Latin America. My focus and background is in the ONTAP world, you know, the ONTAP ecosystem. And I can be reached at www.netapp.com. At so T-Y-R-E-L-L at netapp.com.
0: So you cover EMEA and Latin America? So, so like, you basically yeah. can go on holiday. Like, you go to Latin America, yeah. you're like, hey, I may, might as well just stay here for a little while.
2: Yeah. I've got to get that past my manager, though, so that's the challenge.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, you just take it afterwards, but hey. Anyway. All right. So enough of that. Let's talk about brocade first. So AJ, if people are not familiar with brocade, go ahead and give us that overview.
1: Yeah, so Brocade is the supplier of Fiber Channel Storage Area Networks with NetApp. It's been a 20, I think at this point, 22 year plus partnership that we've been in. So we go back more than a few versions of software with you ULEDs, but we provide the storage area networking infrastructure here in the Brocade Storage Networking Group, right? And so that's generally thought of as Fiber Channel SAN infrastructure to the NetApp platforms. And... If you look at it overall, you'll find us pretty much 97-ish percent of the Global 2000 make use of fiber channel SAN. And I want to point that out because there's all sorts of conversations around where things sit and why people use certain architectures, and I want to make clear that there is not to my knowledge anyway ever been a single technology that solved every problem but where people tend to use our technology and particularly in partnership with yourselves has to do with that very topic of cyber resilience and the uptime of the platforms and the security of the platforms and the resilience of those environments so for the very mission critical stuff that tends to be the places that we play in
0: you mentioned cyber resiliency and that's what we're here to talk about so let's dive into that a little more you mentioned it involves uptime and that sort of thing what other Pieces of that tie into cyber resiliency. It sounds like a very, you know, buzzy term, right? For lack of a better word. But
1: (laughs) yeah, you you know, that's fair, Justin. And it is. And one of the fun things in our industry is that when somebody comes up with a good idea, nobody else is shy about snagging onto it as rapidly as they possibly can. And everybody's had the term cybersecurity for an age, right? That's been a focus. But the phrase, cyber resilience speaks to the combination of both the reliability as well as the security of the platform. So there's the uptime component of it. And I think Ant would agree with this. Most application owners in the world, most IT infrastructure teams in the world actually deal with multiple buckets of applications. You can sort of sort them into applications that can tip over and people won't always notice right away. And then there's buckets of applications where if they tip over, there's going to be a lot of screaming and yelling. And then there's buckets of applications where if they tip over, the company goes away. And that last bucket gets a different level of criteria, right? And that's a pretty standard scenario for people to live with. So when you're looking at that and trying to work through that, the other pieces that go in with that cyber resilience in the world we all live in has to do with the hardening of the environments and the security of the environments because the bad actors are getting cleverer and cleverer and they're being more patient about it too I'll bring up the solar winds hack they were in solar winds and being distributed without causing any grief for the better part of a year before people found out that the hack was in there and at that point they've already populated into how many environments and so similarly with the ransomware people where they used to jump in right away and it's like oh uh, you know they bump into you on the street justin and then offer you your wallet back minus the cash and credit cards they used to be really immediate in the attack and now a recent study that i saw suggests that they are inside the IT environment for something over 160 days on average before they make themselves known. And one of the things that they're doing with that is making sure that the amount of data that you have to throw away to not pay them is just more than you can stand.
2: You really want to make the pain costly, don't they? Ratchet up that concern to the extent that you've got no other choice, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah. And on top of that, they've no compunction about who they go after, right? At the start of the pandemic, they were going after the healthcare providers. Because they knew the immediacy of the problem and that people would just cough up the money. We had the Continental hack and the ransomware got paid. So we could turn the natural gas pipelines back on. I think one of the things that customers need to be thinking about as well in partnership with NetApp and and Brocade is that there is legislation now being proposed. And I actually honestly think it's a good idea that will force companies to disclose when they've been hacked and when they've paid ransomware. Because that isn't something they have to do currently.
2: It is in some parts of the world. I was having this conversation with a colleague a couple of days ago. There are some countries that have that regulation already. And yeah, I agree. I think
1: that's a good step forward.
2: It makes a lot more transparency to the whole conversation.
1: And it's your data, right, that got exposed. And and you can make the argument that as a customer for that company, you have the right to know that
0: your data has been exposed.
2: I've had two in the last year, actually, where I've been emailed by companies to say your data is being compromised in some way or other. So it's happening a lot.
0: There's also the concept that governments are starting to understand that Data security is actually national security, right? It's becoming a part of your defense. And you have to really dedicate that money to that because, you know, as we saw with Ukraine, there were attacks that happened before the war, right? And maybe that's a precursor to something bigger happening, right? So you need to really make sure that you have a handle on these breaches and that people are aware of it so that you can prepare accordingly.
1: Yeah. And to your point there, Justin, the bits they go after are infrastructure. Right. And you look at where we have a lot of cross sectional footprint between our companies, financial is a huge one. Well, it can be pretty disruptive if all of a sudden you can't pay for your groceries, right? You want to create mayhem prior to some other bad action. That's a quick way to do it. It's a
2: misconception as well, isn't it? Some people think when you hear cyber attack, you think all oh, these bad guys are going after the nuclear plants or the electricity yeah. grid. You take out a bank, that's just as yeah. serious, isn't it? That's going to cause just as much disruption as key physical yeah. infrastructure.
1: And in some instances, it's not even hackers in some cases. And I'm going to pick on the accountants here, guys. So if you're ready to shelter me if I need to run, right? But you get these guys like with the Southwest Airlines meltdown that happened here in the States. And part of the conversation is that the original founder was more of a logistics guy and the airline ran like a top. And then you get somebody in who's like, oh, well, you know, that infrastructure is already depreciated. So we should just hang on to it because now we're printing money. By not refreshing it. And the challenge with that is as infrastructure ages, it's not trivial. I mean, you both know that when you get behind a certain number of versions, right, it's not as simple as saying, well, you know, we'll just put on the latest version. of." No, there's multiple steps you've got to go through. You need this version of firmware on this platform with this device driver in order to go to this version of the OS before you can do this update to this application. So the interdependencies are huge. And when they have those kinds of meltdowns, it's not always trivial to recover from those because in some instances, that infrastructure has just gotten too long in the tooth because somebody thought that it would be more cost-effective to just run it until it tipped over. I've spoken to a couple of
2: customers in the last few weeks who've got exactly that problem AJ (laughs) it's only when they have a bump in the road that they realize oh wow okay we're a little bit behind here we need to catch up and it's then a big hurry to get up to the latest version where whatever actual vulnerability it is that they need to correct in their environment is available so it's not plain sailing sometimes
1: yeah and it's the length of time that it takes and I guess I would argue that yeah some of that stuff's pretty solid I mean I've had scenarios where I've had a customer proudly show me an uptime value on one of our switches that was in excess of 14 years. And for the folks listening to this, the way you should translate that is they hadn't rebooted the platform in 14 years. It just sat there ticking over, right? And so, yeah, okay, that's bragging rights a little bit to say that the gear is just rock solid. But then I'm looking at that in absolute horror because I know how brittle that becomes because if you haven't updated the code on our platform, what's the chances that the platforms attached to it have been updated, right? And one piece of that tips over, it's a house of cards functionally. It'll all come tumbling down. So anyway, that sort of scenario leads me to a discussion that we continually harden our platforms. And I will talk about security here just a little bit. So we can't think of a switch Vendor in Ethernet or Fiber Channel or even InfiniBand that has a completely full on custom OS any longer. Everybody's pretty much moved to variants of common operating systems, generally embedded Linux in the industry is one of the big ones. And so, one of the things that you want to sort of keep in mind there is that as vulnerabilities get addressed, and they do, and hundreds of them a year, and that's not an exaggeration, more than 400 security vulnerabilities a year get published. NetApp gets them, Broadcom gets them, Cisco gets them, all the major server vendors, the HPs and the Dells and Lenovo's and everybody and Fujitsu's, they all get the same list of security vulnerabilities. And we all have to go look at the modules and softwares that we use and determine which ones apply to us. And we address over a hundred of those a year that do apply to us in our software updates. And so the thing that I would say to the folks listening is when your NetApp colleagues come to you and say, hey, You need to be moving to this version of brocade software they're looking out for you that's not just make work that's not mom nagging at you to clean your room that's hey there are things that you want to fix that will that will make this more secure open ssl as an example there are versions of linux that you can't do that patch to because the os doesn't have the hooks to support it they only cook those in maybe two versions back so when you're in older versions of software, you're not going to get those security pieces. And that's a risk I think people need to be aware of and a risk they should not take.
0: I guess that's the danger of treating your IT organization like your Toyota Corolla, right? (laughs) (laughs) 200,000 miles, it works just fine. Right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And you had a point you were making?
2: Yeah, I was just going to make that comment that particularly the world we live in right now, so much more complexity to these environments 10 20 years ago you had a couple of servers a fiber channel switch and a sand platform a storage where today the attack vectors have just multiplied almost exponentially haven't they you've got lots of embedded operating systems but then you've got the management layer on top of that as well that's probably where we see most of the vulnerabilities is some of the layers that the management the third party tool use and that's before you even start talking about cloud integration if you've got one of these environments that's connected to. With clouds and they're all using different os's it's, it's a complex world out there
1: it is and to the point you just made it's not always the immediate stuff that's on your platform right so the on tap folks are pretty careful about the things they allow in the environment as are we on our fabric os right there's a set of controls that we do around that but as you broaden that into the multi-cloud experience and so on and so on and the number of management tools And one of the fun things about tools that I've learned over the years is that I've never met a tool that can't be misused. The same things that let that tool be terribly functional for what you want to do or need to do, right, are tools that in the hands of an inside hacker or someone who's gained control of a platform can turn around and hurt you badly, right? Or They may seem like something that has nothing to do with you, right? And we've talked about this once before, but the folks that got into Target a few years back and scraped the payment card data on something over 100 million cards, they got in by finding the company that was doing the management of the high-volume air conditioning systems for the stores, right? That's the code they hacked. And then they found one of the stores where the facilities network and the data network was cross-connected. And that's how they got in, be minding your own business and looking after things just wonderfully on your side and the neighbor next door sets fire to his garage and the fire comes across it doesn't have to be your fault and the point i want to make there is that getting access into those networks at some point will happen making sure that the elements within your network within your infrastructure are properly locked down and up to the latest versions and as solid as you can make them folks that's just good housekeeping. And that's not something that you should just brush off because when it bites you, it tends to be really, really ugly. And so we harden the kernel. We do the updates. We've gone to Silicon Root of Trust in our platforms in, in Gen 7. We verify software images before they're loaded to the switch. They're digitally signed so that people can't put malware into the platform. The solar winds sort of thing where it's a package that's compromised and being distributed. That can't happen in that same scenario. It doesn't mean there aren't other scenarios, but it can't happen in that one. And then with our SanNav management platform, we've drastically simplified the ability to do certificate updates to the platform. And I, one of the things that I want to say about that, and I think it it plays as well to the NetApp tools on uh, dealing with ransomware, is you have to make security simple for people. It needs to be easy to do. And if you don't believe that, the next big family gathering that you've got, find the people that are my age, right? So find the people in their mid-60s in your family and remind them politely, of course, that for every single account they have that touches the internet, whether it's a streaming service like Netflix or Disney plus or Hulu, or it's their banking information or the payment of their electric bill online or whatever, that they need to have a unique and hard to guess password for an account name for every single account and watch their reaction.
0: Then you start to talk about password managers and you're like, oh, you should use a password manager and that'll help you. And then you start to remember that last pass got breached. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. It's everywhere, right? It is literally everywhere. It's never ended. It's gotten to the point now where I've seen some some cybersecurity experts start to recommend you actually do write your passwords down on a piece of paper because you're less likely to lose them or get them yeah. accessed that way than you are to have them accessed online.
2: Yeah. It's either that yeah. or move to the country, isn't it? Move to the country and live in a wood cabin on your own.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where, where, <laughs> where there is no move internet. <laughs> move out where there yeah. is no internet and you're safe. Yeah. <laughs> but even then you're not because everyone else is connected and again we go back to the banks and the financials. So yeah, there's a lot to think about and it is a very vast environment that you have to worry about. And especially it especially comes into play when you start to think about how data centers are changing. So AJ, give me an idea about What's happening with the modernization of data centers and how that's impacting things like cyber resiliency? Because we're thinking about things now like Kubernetes and containers and automation. So where does that all fit in with the cyber resiliency talk?
1: One of the things that you want to keep in mind is that there's a lot you can do with modifications and changing things if the foundation is solid. There's marvelous things you can do with things like Kubernetes or whatever your favorite containerized environment is and being able to spin stuff up, all right? And one of the joys about containers is you've got the complete package. So the idea that everything I need to run is right here in this package and I don't have all the person interaction thing that goes on in some other instances, right? and so time to deployment and response times to issues that's sort of the drive of that right how adaptive can we be how rapidly can we respond to the way the market's moving or the way an application needs to change and that's grand right but at some stage it's still sitting on infrastructure it's still reliant on the data being someplace and the data being safe and secure and the challenge with that is that you need the abstraction layers to allow all of that automation to work Right? and have the right hooks into the infrastructure to make the things happen underneath it. But the data has to be someplace that's solid, that's up all the time, that's secure. And that's the scenario that we continue to, to drive to. We provide the infrastructure to get down into some of the granularity. And one of the things that we've done with NetApp, as that we talked about on a previous podcast, was this idea of virtual machine ID. Now, we haven't put that across into containers at this stage, but it's a technology that will work with containers as well. The idea of container ID in parallel to the virtual machine ID. As you start taking applications and putting them into into containers, you still need visibility. You still need to be able to see what's going on with the application and the customer's experience, right? The fact that it's running in user memory space as opposed to to system kernel space isn't going to make the application owner any more forgiving of a performance glitch or a hack or any other thing that's, that, that's going on. So it's an interesting, sometimes difficult blend, to be honest, to give them all of the access and opportunity for automation software and then provide the right hooks back in so that the security levels are maintained. Because if you stop and think about it for a second, the same tools that let you do really cool things about cloning containers, if you're the management person or you've got management access, what keeps you from creating clone containers of that data and putting it off to the side someplace where nobody's going to notice that it's there until you're ready to take the data away and do something with it, you know, like. Sell it to somebody or something of that nature. So, being able to provide that level of automation, but also provide the security back end to it, I think is more challenging to people. And it provides additional threat vectors. I think that's one of the things that we all see is at some point we need very secure copies of the data sets as well. Because the bad actors are out there. It's not just scare t- tactics or scare conversations. It's there, a there, real
2: thing. There, yeah, there is actually something that we did do fairly recently, AJ, in that regard, to be fair. So we launched our Blue XP interface in November last year. And there's a capability within there known as Cloud Insights or the Cloud Data Sense element. And that can actually detect and alert unusual user behavior in the environment. So if you try and mount the HR folder, say, or try and do something that's not normally part of your day-to-day workflow we've got tools now can actually alert on some of that stuff so it is a crucial part of detecting some of these things it's not always possible as we were talking about before that the world's so complex now and constantly changing but detecting that it's even happening like the solar winds reference you made not knowing that that was going on for over years is pretty terrifying so yeah some of those cloud insights tools now can do some user behavior detection so we are making steps
1: towards that i think that's exactly the kind of thing and exactly the kind of direction that needs to be taken. Because when you look at it, it, sort of rule four of IT for me is if you can't measure, you can't manage. Without visibility, how do you know? You're driving with a blindfold on, right? Do you speed up? Do you slow down? Do you turn right? Do you turn left? How do you know what to do if you don't have that visibility? So I think that Cloud Insights is a very good start in that direction. We need to know what's going on in the infrastructure. We need to be able to see it. We need to know when things start behaving differently than they were. And you may look at it and go, right, I know what that is, right?
2: There's plenty of false positives, but at least you're getting the alerts that make that decision, can't you?
1: Yeah, but you know, one of the cool things you do in your software that, that I think is because of the way you guys learn, you begin to not panic them, right? And a lot of people can remember back to the very first network management softwares, right? And it's one of the things we tell people too, because there's a level of visibility that we put into the ability to learn flows in our same infrastructure. You turn on Gen 7 platforms with NetApp storage attached and whoever servers are out there. And as soon as traffic starts flowing across in our Gen7 platforms, we start learning initiator target, initiator target LUN, or initiator yeah, yeah. namespace ID flows, right? And you can start seeing behaviors and you don't want people to start scaring themselves with, with alerts. You gotta remind people, you're now seeing what's there, but what's there was there already, right? Those are your traffic patterns. So you need to start being aware of what's going on in the environment. And all of those things were potentially there before. Learn what normal looks like. And that's, I think one of the things you guys do a nice job of, learn what normal looks like, and then figure out what you should be reacting to. Some of
2: us just don't like looking at the needle AJ when it's going in. Look yeah. away and close your eyes.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're going to feel a little pinch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough, right? But it's just something that needs done, right? And people need to be thinking about staying up with the latest software, keeping their house cleaned up, the latest patches in place, and then being aware that ransomware as a service is a thing. Yeah, you can actually outsource that now.
0: <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, don't have to sure. be good at it.
1: No, <laughs> no. And again, on the tool thing, you know, Kali.org, the intent is that you can go create test packages to test your network with and it'll go look for vulnerabilities and it'll show you what can be exploited. And the thing that keeps anybody else from using that to go after your network from the outside would be what? Oh, yeah, no, it's the same code, right?
2: Especially combined with a bit of chat GPT manipulation, all of a sudden it's
1: super steroid code, isn't it? Yeah, did nobody ever watch the movies? Like, what are you people
0: doing? Let's talk a little bit about brocade and some of the best practices that are recommended for cyber resiliency in your environment so aj give me the rundown of things that you end up recommending to customers to try to secure things a little better from all sorts of threats because there's ransomware there's breaches there's insider at threats
1: yeah so for starters work with trusted partners the netapp folks and the netapp systems engineers they've been partners with us in storage area networks for 20 plus years now so they've got a good understanding of the environments and what needs to be looked at. But you need to be willing to run the audits. Within SandNav. you can run audits. If you're a supplemental support customer through NetApp with Brocade Support, you can run something called Brocade Support Link, which will do an audit of your storage area network and tell you what ports are open that shouldn't be open and things of that nature. So we have an actual best practice assessment that can run in your environment that I recommend that people do and look at what do you have open that shouldn't be. Only use secure protocols. I know that people have coded a bunch of stuff into SNMP, but you've got to at least run SNMP v3 just because it's been there forever and nobody's touched it doesn't mean that versions where the community strings are visible and so on or something you want to continue to let run in your management subnet. Do isolate your management subnet. I know there's lean now where, oh no, we can just run everything in one network. And that's not really a scenario that I would feel comfortable with because the concept that one or more Actors are going to gain access to a platform through a user or some level of interface that's got to hook out to the internet is a very different thing than somebody's got access to your management subnet because it's an isolated management subnet. So isolation is helpful there as well. Do be looking at updating to the latest versions of code that you can or the most trusted versions that you can get to so that you stay up to date. Go with the latest versions of ONTAP in the environment that will work for you because you guys continue to to apply security fixes and patches in the environment and get prepped for things in that nature. And then from the uptime side of things, there's reasons why dual redundant hardware isolated sand fabrics have been around for as long as they've been around. There's reasons why we exist in 97 plus percent of the global 2000. And again, not for everything, right? But for the core components, that can't go away. There's reasons why banks, rely on us and in partnership with you folks around things like clustering technologies whether it's metro cluster or whatever and the snapshotting environments that we can do together to keep data secure at distance from whether it's a physical outage whether it's a weather-based outage that we've had we've had a hell of a season already this year or the hackers right and keep your eyes open and watch as these incident reports come up Be aware, because we're going to send out security advisories. I know that NetApp sends out security advisories. There's vulnerabilities. We're required by law to tell you. right? So when those hit, yeah, it's a pain in the butt to go look, but you got to look. So those are things that I would recommend.
0: And from the NetApp side, what are some recommendations that you deliver and what sort of NetApp solutions do we have that help provide better overall cyber resiliency? I
2: think... Probably the first place I would look as a NetApp customer does what we call hardening guides for each of our product sets. So for Centricity, for Active IQ, for ONTAP. They're just simple PDF documents, really, but they run through the key ways that you can lock down some of these systems as best that we can. That goes maybe beyond even just what we do out the box. Jay made the point earlier about trying to make security easy. That's something that we've had quite a big focus on over the last couple of years at NetApp. So certainly from our ONTAP systems group, any new system that ships from the factory now, we, we've got most of these things turned on by default, whether it's data at rest, encryption, just trying to lock down the box as much as we can, encryption over the wire for, for replication traffic, all those things are there by default, really. But then we've layered on top of some new features fairly recently. We had a new ONTAP release just before Christmas. We introduced something there called tamper Booth Snapshots. So if you do have some of these really important sand workloads with databases running on top of LUNS, for example, we've now got a way of... Essentially, taking an an immutable backup of that production environment. That's another layer to these things. As AJ referred to earlier, there's never going to be one tool or one piece of software that does everything, particularly with security. It's a multi layered, multi faceted approach. Look at some of the regulatory certifications. We've pretty much got all of them that you would normally need in an enterprise platform. We're one of the few vendors on the the Department of Defense Secure list, a product to the US audience listening. We've got a variety of other certifications and validations in some of the other regulatory areas, I think it's fair to say more than most of our, our competitive platforms, I think. So yeah, we've had a lot of features recently, one of the one is multi-hab and verify, being able to lock down, protect against an individual login. We've got things like multi-factor authentication and encryption of things like flog and EMS events, so all that kind of stuff is table stakes right now, but. Things like multi-admin verify, we're starting to add things that we know other vendors don't have at the moment. If an administrator does somehow have their credentials hacked or fished, that multi-admin verify feature essentially disallows a single admin from doing something that's destructive. So they can still do the basics like creating a volume and creating a share or creating a loan. But when they try and take a volume offline or delete a snapshot or delete a volume, that triggers a process that has to get a secondary approval from another admin. It sounds quite forward and a basic feature, but I think we're one of the only platforms out there that could do that right now. So, yeah, combining things like that with some of the hardening guides, we've got a fairly solid set of features there to help our customers as best we can.
0: And earlier you mentioned Cloud Data Sense and Cloud Insights. Those are some off box solutions yeah. as well. And then you also have the autonomous ransomware protection, detecting anomalies within your data sets to see if there's potentially a ransomware attack ongoing.
2: Exactly. We've had a functionality in ONTAP called F-Policy for a long time. It's just a way of blocking certain file types in its crudest implementation. So, if you didn't want an MP3 file to be written to an ONTAP system, for example, you can just disallow that file type forever. We turned that on, but we turned a a feature on in 9.12 where, with a single button click, you can disallow all of the well known ransomware and malware file types from being stored on that platform. So as AJ said before, it's a nice, quick, and easy thing. It's not the most intelligent. It's not going to go and wash your car and iron your clothes, but it will stop the most common file types from being written just with a single click. So at a bare minimum, you know that's something that every one of our customers can do the minute they turn these systems on. And then, yeah, as you say, mate, going beyond that, we've then got the more intelligent stuff like autonomous ransomware protection on box, which you can go and actively look for these things. And the ransomware protection, a reference there, is a service that we have in Blue XP. So that goes beyond just ONTAP, that can look into Windows file shares. It can look into databases as well. So that's almost like a third party capability really, as opposed to just being ONTAP focused. So that's a nice service to have there as well, just because it's got that ability that lives outside of ONTAP where it can do that kind of detection of unusual behavior when it comes to users and what they're doing, whether they're trying to share and access a share that they wouldn't ordinarily be allowed to. That kind of behavior is, it's just the first step of detection really.
1: If you're going to do something out of the ordinary, a second approval or a second admin has to step in. One of our big cross-sectional areas is the financial community where NetApp and Brocade work together. And yeah. the number of banks that I know that just spend huge amounts of time on the idea of the man in the middle of attack, that it's one of their own people, that could be the problem child. Now, it could be just who's looking to, been told to recover space or clean up and mistakenly reaches for the wrong volume or to delete older snapshots, not realizing what they're doing. But more critically, when there's a bad actor somewhere in that mix, it's a huge focus point for every financial institution I have ever touched. It's, I think, just a really brilliant step on your part that you put something in place.
0: And you mentioned earlier that all these seem very simple, but in reality, that's where most of the stuff happens, right? In the simple areas, the, the admin credentials that are exposed. So that's really where you need to start when you're starting to lock down your environment is what is the easiest entry point? (laughs) Because if you're a bad actor, you're definitely going after the easy low-hanging fruit stuff because that's going to be the fastest way to get your money.
1: This is going to sound unfair, and I apologize up front for it, but Fiber Channel in particular, we are not the most hacked protocol on the planet, right? ethernet is but that doesn't mean that you don't want to use ethernet obviously you need to right we all depend on it so the trick to that is you've got to be aware of what you're putting where and what kind of mechanisms you're using to access it when you look at something like an hci or a vSAN sort of environment it's not that you won't use it but be aware that if that application server gets hacked or when if you Prefer the starker view of things, it's not just the application that's running in that server. If that server, if that hardware platform is a mirror for another platform, which, which is how those environments work, because you've distributed disk drives back out to individual server platforms again, I've got not just access to my data, but I've got access to whatever data is being mirrored to me from other application platform on the floor. And then because of the way people tend to do those implementations, they'll isolate the storage traffic potentially to a VLAN, but then if I've hacked that server, I now have visibility to that VLAN. I can see the other traffic. I can see the other nodes. I can launch my attacks into the other platforms once I'm in. It's a very different scenario to our partnership in the storage area network in that FCP, which is serial SCSI 3 over fiber channel, or FCNVMe 2, which is NVMe over fiber channel, or FICON, which is the mainframe protocol, right? Those are the ways we move data. Those are not mechanisms that allow you to change the zoning or give you management access to either our switches or the the on tap platforms that are attached to it and so i think the separation of that management plane and the data plane is a key piece of security that makes us very useful to the more critical environments.
0: All right. Sounds like we got a lot to think about with cyber resiliency. There's a lot to it. There's cybersecurity, there's disaster recovery, there's failovers and that sort of thing. We have a lot of solutions out there for that. We've talked about a few of those on this podcast with Brocade as well as NetApp. So AJ, if we wanted to reach you to ask more questions, how do we do that?
1: Yeah, again, Justin, that's aj.casamento, that's C-A-S-A-M-E-N-T-O at broadcom.com. All right. And Ant,
2: yeah, thanks, Justin. My email is tittle at NetApp.com. So T-Y-R-E-L-L
1: at NetApp.com.
0: All right. And AJ, if we wanted to find more information about Brocade, where would we do that?
1: Yeah, so you would go to Brocade.com slash Brocade.
0: All right. Excellent. And, and, and Ant, do you have anything we can look at with the NetApp side?
1: Probably just
2: encourage cu- customers or listeners to go and check out BlueXP. So BlueXP.netapp.com is Each... the window into NetApp these days, mm-hmm. isn't it?
0: The single pane of glass mm-hmm. in a NetApp. Single single pane of glass, Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, excellent. Thanks so much for joining us, AJ and Ant, and talking to us all about cyber resiliency as well as Brocade and NetApp Solutions. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netup.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via TechOnTapPodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire TechOnTap Podcast team, I'd like to thank Ant Terrell and AJ Casamento for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah.
2: getting off on this.
0: Oh, yeah.